Welcome back to the Bama Online Podcast. This one on a Monday afternoon, September the 20th, 2021. Travis Schreier, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, joined on Mondays, as is typically the case. Charlie Potter, Senior Team Reporter for us there at BOL. Both of us fresh off the trip from Gainesville, Florida. Last Saturday over the weekend where the Crimson Tide hung on 31-29 to to get its first SEC win of the season. It's first, obviously, SEC road win of the season as well. 32 straight for the Alabama Crimson Tide now over SEC Eastern Division opponents. First-timer Charlie Potter to the Swamp. Charlie uh, I got to think it lived up to maybe whatever expectations you had for that old building. It did. Uh, it probably exceeded my expectations. Um, you know, I will say, you know, driving in, I felt like a grumpy old man because I, I missed last season whenever you'd go either to Bryant Denny or to, you know, stadium on the road. It was just an easy breeze into your parking spot, but you could tell <laughs> you just before you even got to the stadium, you know, how many people were on campus and just kind of the excitement level there, just kind of inching toward the parking spot. But no, I mean, open air press box. I prefer those just because you get to feel the, the atmosphere and the environment. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I've been, I've been thinking about it and you know, it, it's definitely, it's up there for the, probably one of the loudest crowds I've, I've ever heard mm-hmm. from a press box. Um, you know, I've been to, to Baton Rouge for those you know battles between Alabama and LSU. I, I've experienced some Alabama losses at Jordan-Hare Stadium in Auburn. And, of course, Bryant-Denny can get pretty loud, too, with its 100-plus you know, thousand crowd. But, um, no, I mean, I, if there were times where you would leave the press box to go into the, the press lounge was the official name of it. And they had like, you know, bottles of water or the restroom was in there or whatever. And it felt like whenever you go to like a, a bar or to like an indoor concert and then you walk outside and your ears are still ringing, it, it, it was definitely <laughs> loud. And yeah, I, I think it, it kind of exceeded my expectations. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, if that's a first time experience for anyone as someone who is, been there multiple times for Florida games and Florida Alabama games. Uh, you got it. You got the real deal on Saturday in Gainesville. I've, like I said, I've been there for for Alabama Florida games, Florida games against Florida State, some some other situations as well. And I'm not sure if I've ever heard it as loud as it was at Ben Hill Griffin Stadium on Saturday. And a lot of that had to do with well, the home team being a 14 and a half point underdog don't typically see that with the Florida Gators certainly not since the start of the Steve Spurrier era anyway and a game in which the home team took a big punch early falling behind 21 to 3 and then that second quarter rolls around Alabama loses momentum especially on the offensive side of the ball gives Florida just enough time to sort of find itself offensively, commit fully to that run game. And man, when you went into the half at 21 to nine and coming out to start that third quarter, you're thinking Florida's got the ball here, Charlie. And if they go down and score, Alabama is going to have to once again, deal with what they had worked so hard to take out of the game in the first quarter in building that league. And lead and that was exactly the case they had to overcome it twice and the second time around seemed almost 
twice as vociferous in terms of the crowd involvement and reaction as the first time around. Yeah, I mean, it, it seemed early on like it was going to be that classic Alabama game going on the road, uh, basically the opposing team's Super Bowl where the crowd's into it and they just you know take the air out of the stadium, you know, going up 21 to three in the first quarter. Uh, but then, you know, it's, it's kind of been the, the same old Sam we've seen from Alabama through three games where they let their foot off the gas. And then um, that uh, maintaining intensity that Nick Saban has preached about uh, through the first three weeks of the season, uh, they weren't able to do that. And defensively, uh, they had a tough time stopping the run. And, and you're right, coming out of halftime, uh, it felt like uh, the defense, first of all, they got a break, which was beneficial after the offense had three straight three and outs. But, um, you know, they needed to respond and, and they weren't really able to do that. Just, you know, looking at the uh, the box score and everything, you know, they just kept, you know, peeling off run after run after run. And, um, you know, it just it wasn't a great showing defensively in the second half. Uh, the offense was able to put together some some lengthy drives, which were beneficial. They were able to to convert, um, you know, move the chains and you know, put some points on the board, which is helpful. But yeah, I mean, I think um, you know the crowd, the humidity, everything, um, it just kind of played in the Florida's favor. But you got to give Alabama credit. I mean, it was a hostile environment. It's 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 really a. a difference because you know i think a lot of it is recency bias whenever we were talking about you know my first trip to the swamp and experiencing it we haven't really heard anything like that since 2019 just because mm-hmm. you had a full year without uh, crowd noise and you know, a lot of the key players in alabama's defense haven't played in front of that um which of course you know they're not, they're not facing as much as that because they're facing the, the home offense but with that environment, with how humid and hot it was, it was just everything started to fall apart. But give them credit for being able to to hold firm and to you know, get a key stop in that two point conversion and um, able to to squeak out a win. Yeah, it's amazing how Alabama has reached a point at a, as a program as a dynasty where it goes on the road, wins by a couple against a top tennis team, a proud top tennis team and program in Florida. And the question or the narrative becomes what's wrong with Alabama? Is this the start of the downward slide for the Crimson Tide? And it's like, wow, maybe, maybe just maybe Florida is a pretty good football team, which was sort of my point in the immediate aftermath Saturday night on instant analysis and also five predictions revisited. You know, sometimes you got to give some credit to a team like Florida, especially one playing at home. And, uh, you know, absolutely. Uh, stuff we're going to talk about on the podcast today is going to be certainly, as you would expect, centric to Alabama's issues, maybe coming out of the Florida game. But at the same time, uh, you got to give credit to Florida, a team that maintained its poise again, uh, defensively did some things to sort of slow down Alabama a little bit. Alabama fans might argue Alabama slowed itself down. Regardless, the Alabama offense got off the field in succession there in the second quarter, and uh, Florida was able to, to find some semblance of life. Hey, let's get into some housekeeping here on the podcast. Charlie, as uh, we get things going here before we take more of an overview of this Alabama football team as we move throughout today's program, uh, Will Anderson. SEC Co-Defensive Player of the Week, as announced by the league office on Monday. That's a hell of an honor for a guy who we weren't sure a week ago at this time, Charlie, whether or not he'd be available for the Gators. 
Yeah, it really is. I, I was kind of surprised by it, just given you know what we just talked about the the defensive lapses, uh, especially in the second half uh, for Alabama. But no, I mean, you know, given that we wrote about Will Anderson, felt like every day last week and his status going into that game at Florida, having uh, dealt with a knee injury in the Mercer game. Um, you know, he was his status was up in the air. I think a lot of people wondered how much of Will Anderson we would see. Well, we saw plenty of number 31 in the game. There were times you could kind of see that um, maybe uh, he was a little rusty uh, or maybe just a hair slow and maybe favoring that knee. But the guy still made plays. Um, you know, he had seven tackles, I believe. You know, the the official, um, you know, box score or whatever the stat broadcast has him at two tackles for loss. But Alabama credited him with three and a half. Um, and you know, he was able to be disruptive and, uh, you know, he and, uh, Drew Sanders and some others were instrumental on that uh, two point conversion stop we talked about earlier. Um, that's a huge play in the game and, uh, just getting him back, I think was, was big. We saw some Chris Braswell. We saw a little bit of Dallas Turner in this game, but when Will Anderson's available, uh, he's a difference maker. And, uh, for him to, to get that honor, given what he just dealt with, with, a a knee injury, kind of like maybe a little bit of a hybrid extension to some degree. Uh, kudos to him. You know, hats off to him for being able to do that and doing a quick turnaround. Alabama players of the week, as selected by the UA coaching staff, on the offensive side of the ball, it's the two running backs, Jace McClellan and Brian Robinson, both of them combining to produce three touchdowns one apiece for McClellan and Robinson as receivers. Robinson had a rushing touchdown. Solid performance once again for the veteran in Robinson. Led Alabama in rushing with 78 yards. Averaged over five yards per carry once again. Couple of touchdowns. Jace McClellan uh, got things going with the swing pass that he turned into the first touchdown of the game for Alabama. And both of them a very physical physical afternoon for Alabama running backs. There wasn't always open lanes for which they could sort of do their thing in the run game. And uh, they were both asked to pick up the blitz more than a few times. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I thought Brian Robinson had one of his best games of his career. Uh, just mm -hmm. tough running from him. Did a nice job in pass pro. Um, you know, he averaged more than five yards a carry which the, the entire uh, Alabama rushing attack can't say. Uh, but, you know, I, I think he, he had a, a solid game. And, um, you know, I think Alabama you know, needed that from him. Uh, we only saw the two running backs in the game. I know a lot of people have asked about uh, Trey Sanders and, you know, why he didn't play. Um, you know, they they had a tough time running the football. And I think that the, the running backs did a good job. Um, you know, I know Nick Saban talked highly of the, the offensive line and saying how they did a good job and had decent protection for the most part. But it's telling whenever, you know, the, the two players of the week are, are both running backs and there's no offensive lineman, uh, you know, featured on the list. So I think that both of these guys have, have gotten better over the course of the season. I think, you know, we kind of talked about it heading into the year, uh, how Jace McClellan could kind of be that, um, you know, every down player, you know, he's a guy that, um, you know, could be a featured back and he's made a, an impact as a receiver so far. He's tied for the team lead in receiving touchdowns with a couple through three games. And, um, you know, it wasn't always easy running for him, uh, but he made plays, uh, when you needed to, and same goes for Brian Robinson. So the way that uh, you know, Florida's defensive line and defensive front was able to swarm and to, to do some things against this offensive line, I think 
um, you know, the fact that both running backs were, were recognized by the coaching staff says a lot. Defensively, the aforementioned Will Anderson, also a team selection for Defensive Player of the Week honors. Fedarian Mathis joins Will Anderson on that side of the ball. The veteran with a career-high seven tackles for the Alabama defense. He was also involved in a sack along with Tim Smith there. I believe that was in the first half of the game. Uh, So when you look at the defensive side of the ball, uh, we're going to get more into this as we move throughout the podcast. Uh, A little more, a little more intrigue, I think for some Alabama's taste coming out of the third game of the season in terms of where this defense really is uh, after giving up nearly 260 yards on the ground to Florida in the win. But, Fedarian's been a pretty consistent presence in terms of tackles for loss and just production in general through three games. He has, yeah. and I mean, that's kind of carried over uh, from last season. I think he was the most consistent defensive lineman last year, and he had a pretty good game at Florida. Um, I, I think the, the defensive front and really the whole defense as a whole, um, you know, they're, they're going to have a lot to learn from, from this game with Florida rushing for over 250 yards and really just having its way on the ground for the most part. But, um, you know, again, Will Anderson had a good game. I thought Drew Sanders had a good game uh, opposite him. He wasn't one of the players of the week. But, again, they were in on that uh, key two-point conversion stop. But, you know, for Phil, um, this defensive line, um, we've seen a, a pretty healthy rotation, probably six players, and that's that's about what we would anticipate. But you know, with him being able to get consistent you know, pressure and then get in the backfield, he actually leads Alabama with two and a half sacks for the first three games. And you know, they need that player uh, and that playmaker up front with uh, Christian Barmore moving on to the NFL. And, um, you know, I, I kind of thought about giving Fidarian Mathis a nod in, in my game balls on Sunday. Uh, but, you know, I was afraid I'd be, you know, there'd be tomatoes thrown at me for including the defensive lineman. <laughs> performance. But it goes to show. You can't you worry know, about the haters, yeah. Charlie. You just can't worry about them, you know. I don't. I, I they don't. Come, I think they it, come for me daily. You know, they came for me late last week when I said Florida was. You know, I predicted Florida scored twenty-seven. No way, no way. And then what happens? You know, you right. just can't worry about the haters, Charlie. I don't. But if you, I mean, if you're ever uh, in the live updates, uh, <laughs> press conferences, you would know that I don't listen to anything anybody on the board. I know. I'm just giving you a hard time. I really think that a lot of the people that subscribe to our website don't like me when I read some of their question suggestions for Nick Saban. So yeah, I don't, I don't listen to their advice, but at the same time, um, a little bit surprised to see members of really the defense in general, but the defensive front seven recognized, but again, these, these coaches, you know, see more and, and know more and, you know, they knew what they wanted to do defensively. And then <clears throat> based off the way that these guys played, I, I think that they were pleased with those two. Yeah. How about your special teams player of the week, Jordan Battle, one of those members of the back seven. Uh, nice tackle on the uh, first kickoff for Alabama, the game. And Alabama continues to, to really be good in that area. I thought of the three units, the special teams were consistently good on Saturday. And uh, James Burnett continues to show you some reasons to be encouraged as the new punter. Uh, Will Reichard with a field goal, and in a game in which extra points ended up being pretty big, Will now, I believe, has his streak to 102 uh, Mm -hmm. consecutive 
extra points, uh, Florida doesn't have that kind of streak. That's why in large part, we're talking about an Alabama win on the Monday after, but yeah, between the punting kickoff coverage, Rikers continued consistency, uh, Good stuff, I thought, for Alabama on special teams. Punt coverage on the one occasion they had the opportunity. Didn't really get much of a chance in punt returns. Uh, thought we might see the hands team there late. Were you kind of surprised Dan Mullen didn't onside it there with about 312 left in the game, down two? I was, yeah. I mean, Alabama brought his hands team out because I always track. Yeah, we did the see freshman. the hands team. You're right. And uh, But, yeah, they kicked it deep. Um, so that was a little bit of a head scratcher, but no, I mean, I, it's tough to predict exactly which players will get the players of the week from the coaching staff. But I thought we might see more of the special teams flair because I agree. I thought, you know, special teams from an Alabama standpoint was really consistent and you played well overall. Um, you know, Jameson Williams did a nice job returning kickoffs. Uh, James Burnham had his best game of the season and that kind of carries over from what Nick Saban was saying uh, earlier in the week and you know, talking about how, how he has best week of practice and he's you're getting better and better. Um, but you talk about the the extra points that is very critical in this game. And Will Riker really hasn't had or provided any reason for, for fans to worry, but um, you know, that's, that's big. And uh, he was able to kick a field goal as well. Um, but yeah, I, I thought that maybe we would see burn up or, Maybe even Jamison Williams get a nod there. But, uh, you know, Jordan Battle making a key tackle, you're right. The coverage units have been really strong and, and stout the first three games, and that's really no surprise given how Alabama's played in that regard in the last few years. Yeah, we're going to get into some of Nick Saban's comments from his Monday press conference in just a second. But a couple additional items of interest. Ole Miss now set for a week from Saturday at Bryant-Denny Stadium. That's going to be your CBS game. That was pretty much anticipated Ole Miss in Alabama, that's shaping up to be a big one. Saturday, October the 2nd, that's a 2.30 kickoff central on CBS. Of course, believe it or not, as much as there's this residual Florida talk on this Monday, USM, Southern Miss, comes to Tuscaloosa this week. That's a 6.30 central kickoff on Saturday evening. That's an SEC network broadcast. So, Charlie, let's get into a few things that we heard from Nick Saban uh, as he touched on his team on Monday, midday Monday. And again, intensity focus, uh, still a common theme in his remarks. Uh, Still, I think, from a team dynamic perspective, trying to fill in some blanks in that regard. And Gosh, as much as anything, that's probably why if you're an Alabama fan, you should feel even better about getting the win in Gainesville is that it's pretty obvious he still sees that part, that intangible aspect of this team as being very much a work in progress. Yeah, I mean, there is silver linings uh, from the game and from really the first three games is Alabama hasn't put together a, a complete game up to this point. And you know, he talked about uh, right away in his opening statement how they played really, really well for the first 20, 25 minutes of the game. Uh, but then, you know, he, he talked about the momentum of the game changed and we became kind of an ordinary team. I don't really know if I've heard Nick Saban talk like that. Uh, I think that shows, you know, he sees the potential and what this team can be. But then if it isn't uh, playing with that intensity that he's just over and over mentioned in these pressers, then ordinary is what it can be on the field. So, you know, he, he talked about, 
um, spirit. And that's a word that he's kind of used a little bit uh, here in the last few years. Uh, it's different than attitude. And um, your spirit you know, kind of tells about your, I think he said, energy and enthusiasm. And then those two things create mental energy and intensity. And again, that's what he wants to see. So if they're going to work on that in practice. Um, you know, it's about developing the right habits. You know, again, these are, he's punching the same um, bullet points when he's up there behind mm-hmm. the lectern. And uh, I think that is a little bit of, like you said, a, a silver lining, something to hang your hat on is you know, Alabama is capable of being one of the best teams in, in college football, but it's just not been able to maintain what we've seen, the, the bright spots for the, the course of the 60 minute game. And if they can do that, then they can go out and beat anybody. You know, if, if Alabama does what it did in the first quarter against Florida, that game's not close. You know, we're writing our recaps in the third quarter. We're getting out of there and Alabama fans are, you know, drinking for different reasons. But um, it's a it's a situation to where you know, I think the leadership needs to continue to step up and they need to do the right things in practice to carry that over into the games. It's uh, basically wanting more guys to embrace the grind on a daily basis, embrace the suck, for lack of a better way of putting it, <laughs> um, and uh, fully immerse yourself in it uh, and, and not just – to do it because you have to it's uh have a, a an energy a juice about you um you know that speaks to really um you know just taking pride in what you do every day and then uh seeing the results of that when game day does roll around he was also asked if there were any schematic issues on defense on saturday and he pointed execution more than anything else. And so he didn't get specific on any uh, certain situations, although he did uh, talk about the 99 yard drive. And we know Alabama defensively was in a third and 10 with UF at its own one and essentially just needed to make a tackle mm-hmm. on third down to get off the field and get the ball back. They weren't able to do that. There was the third nine that he touched on. So it was more of a theme about the execution of the defense than, say, schematically anything they tried to do against the Gators. No doubt. And that's a lot of what he said, um, you know, after the game, he was asked straight up just what concerns him most after, um, you know, Saturday's game. And he, he kind of pointed to the defensive side of the ball and talked about execution and their inability to get off the field on third down, which of course, you know, goes hand in hand with execution. So, um, you know, defensively, you would think they wouldn't be making uh, this many errors, uh, given the experience they have on that side of the ball. Now they have some young guys that are stepping up uh, into the bigger roles. You know, Drew Sanders, some of those young outside linebackers are doing that. But you know, the guys that we see on the field have been around, and um, I think that's probably a little frustrating for Nick Saban and Pete Golding and this staff. But um, you know, I, I think whenever he's talking about schematically and, and things like that. Uh, execution, um, you know, that's, that's, that's a little fixable. And I think if they just clean some things up, they'll be okay. I still think this defense has the potential to be really strong, to be one of the best in the country. Uh, they just got to put it together for 60 minutes. Yeah. You know, and I think personnel wise, there's things to take into consideration when you look at that front seven and some of the struggles they've had with some decent rush offenses the last couple of years saw Ole Miss do it last season, saw Florida do it on Saturday and look credit to both Ole Miss and Florida in that they were versatile. They were still creative. I think people think of, wow, strong run game. They're running like 
one or two plays and that's it. Now, Florida had a few wrinkles for Alabama on Saturday, and I'm sure Alabama anticipated some of that. But there is still a place, I think, is the the bigger point in all this for more of a traditional defensive tackle, a nose tackle. You look at Alabama's commitment list right now, and you see Jaheim Otis, 6'4", 370 pounds, Charlie. (laughs) Well, watching Florida double-team some guys inside and get some movement against that Alabama defensive line in the final three quarters Saturday, I started to think, aha, that's why Alabama continues to recruit 370, 380 pound. Tim Keenan right now as a true freshman, you know, kind of fits that mold as well. Maybe Damon Payne will be that kind of guy in time, but still a place for the big man, still a place for the big man because whereas we continue to talk about Twitch and how the game has moved so far away from the traditional approach to offense. There are still some teams out there far to being among them that if they can line up and run it for 60 minutes, guess what they're going to do. They're not going to get away from it. So you better have some, you better have some big people that can hold things down there on the interior. Other things that we heard from Nick Saban of interest, I guess on, uh, on Monday, Charlie, uh, you know, he, he talked a little bit about and updated some of the the players that you mentioned, Drew Sanders, who I thought had a nice game. He had a couple of issues with contain throughout the game as the Alabama defense in general lost leverage more than once to the corner. Um, but, you know, getting back a little bit even to the players of the week and you try to take Saban's temperature after a game like Florida and you think, well, is he going to come out Monday and sort of be like, Super proud of this team. We got nine players of the week and, you know, just it, it, with five players of the week and kind of what you heard from him, I didn't get the sense Monday that it was, well, look, all's well that ends well. We're, we're, we're still moving in a really good direction, which I, I probably think he still thinks they are as a team. Um, but, but maybe even Saban, uh, you know, not exactly satisfied to the level you might expect given the youthfulness of this team in some areas and uh, you know, how far it has to come. No, I mean, I I think he sees the potential of this team. And again, like we've talked about um, if they can put it together for all four quarters, um, you know, the the things that we see on the message board, what seems like every hour on the hour kind of deal wouldn't be there. The concerns wouldn't be there. Uh, so defensively, um, yeah, I, th- I think with the playmakers that they have, the guys that have been in the program now, uh, yeah, I, I think they've seen the flashes. I think Drew Sanders, like you just said, has shown flashes. You know, he had the big uh, hit on Emory Jones that led to the interception by Jalen Armour Davis. Um, you know, he's made some plays in his first uh, two starts uh, that have shown that I think he could do a nice job of stepping in for Chris Allen, who was a big part of this defense. Um, but, and I'm not singling out Drew by any means, but it's just collectively, um, there's been lapses and, um, you know, I think Jordan battle and, and DeMarco Helms didn't have a great game from a defensive standpoint, but those guys have shown in the past that they can be, you know, all SEC type of players. And so they, they just have to put it together. Um, I, I think, you know, like we've talked about with the players of the week being uh, a low number, um, and kind of with his, he's not in a, a fiery rage, 
Um, I think that he's just he's not disappointed, but he knows what this team can be mm-hmm. and they haven't gotten there yet. And so that's just the with the comments that you see, you're talking about Drew having an OK game. But um, we all could have done a little bit better job of playing the option. You know, I think that they had a good um, scheme dialed up. They had a good game plan. It just came down to execution like we talked about. And, and they just want to clean some of those miscues up. Yeah, and I think there's still a, a visible, uh, a visible presence of accountability because Drew Sanders, even as a young player, in doing the UF clips thread on the roundtable, going back and taking video clips from the game and putting them on the message board earlier on Monday, there's one option play where he loses contain on Emory Jones. Henry Toa Toa actually makes a good play. He gets over the top of the play side tackle and sort of plays Jones and uh, Damian Pierce by himself before making a, a third down stop on Pierce earlier in the game. And you can see Sanders at the end of the play, you know, tapping his helmet kind of like I, I, I busted there. I, I, I didn't take care of my assignment. So to me, that's a positive, especially with a young player when they acknowledge, you know, in the heat of the moment that I, I got to, I got to get that right. So I think Drew Sanders headed to, to a great career, obviously, but uh, you know, still some things to sort out for sure. We're going to step aside for a quick break here on the Bama Online Podcast. When we come back with Charlie Potter, we will talk specifics for this Alabama team as it gets ready for week four and a matchup with USM making the short trip over from Hattiesburg, Mississippi. We'll do that with Charlie when the Bama Online Podcast. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Podcast returns right after this. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Back with more of the Bama Online podcast, Travis Schreier and Charlie Potter with you on a Monday, September the 20th, 2021. And Charlie, as we look at this football team in all three phases, let's start on the offensive side of the ball. And, you know, it's tough when you consider rush offense, uh, uh, passing offense, because the intricacies as much as anything of offensive line play. We don't have the benefit on a play-by-play basis of knowing exactly what the right guard is supposed to be doing or adjustments that are made even post-snap. But I will say this. I thought both in pass protection and just sort of taking care of all the duties that fall upon a center, I was impressed with Darian Dahlcourt on Saturday. Uh, so much was made of Bryce and going on the road for the first time as a starter. Well, that was the same situation as we talked about last week for Darian Dahlcourt. And I think he continues to show you in his third year in the program that 
he's more than capable of handling that job at this level. But you don't really know until you get into a situation uh, like a game on the road last Saturday. And uh, I thought he acquitted of himself quite well. Yeah, I mean, first of all, yeah, you're right. I mean, it was an adverse situation. Uh, like we talked about at the top, it was loud. I can't imagine what it was like trying to communicate uh, down there on the field. Um, but, you know, they started the game uh, off with a clap, trying to get Bryce Stone just to clap as a um, for the cadence and to get the ball. But then they kind of switched to you know, JV and Cohen looking back and, you know, hitting um Darren Dalcourt on the hip, letting him know when to go that way. So, um, yeah, it's it, it was like I mean, I'm I'll be the first to admit I, I wrote about uh, Bryce's first start. We haven't been talked to Darian yet, and we got to talk to the quarterback. So, a uh, big deal's made of that. But I think both of those guys did a solid job of communicating. Um, you know, Alabama had four false start penalties, three of those coming from Milikior, who's right beside the ball. Um, but you know, I, I think. For the most part, you didn't really have just a ton of what seemed like communication issues. You had the one delay game. Of course, you know we're not even going to talk about, in this situation at least, the end of the game whenever the game clock decided not to work when Alabama needed to milk the clock out. But outside of that, um, it seemed like he handled the situation pretty well, and, and that's asking a lot. I mean, Darren Dalcourt has been in the program for a while now, but – He's never been in a situation like he was in Saturday. Neither is Bryce Young. Neither of a lot of those guys. So um, I think all in all, um, you know, it was a pretty good showing. And Malek Yor uh, was uh, complimentary of the way that he handled it, too, talking to him earlier today. So, um, you know, they just got to keep building on things. Yeah, I agree. Um, going back and, and looking at the game, it doesn't seem like the offensive line played as bad as maybe initially uh, or I initially thought. Uh, again, Nick Saban was, um, you know, he praised them a little bit for the way that they played overall. And uh, I think a lot of that has to do with how um, Darren Dalcourt was able to, to handle that uh, adverse and raucous situation. You think this five that we've seen in the first three games will be intact? You know, obviously considering health as a part of this, but assuming that these five guys are healthy, say by the time A&M rolls around. On October the 9th, do you anticipate this group remaining intact or do you still think the window's open for some potential changes and uh, some looks at some other guys? Yeah, I think there's always competition. Um, you know, I, I don't, given Nick Saban's comments and, you know, how he's talked about the offensive line, um, I would maybe say no, but, you know, I, I think it's always possible. I think you got to see how guys like Damian George and JC Latham. Uh, continue to get comfortable, um, you know, within the scheme and, you know, playing for a new offensive line coach and Doug Marone, um, you know, you still got to take into consideration Kendall Randolph, even though I, I think they like him as being that extra blocker, that sixth offensive lineman. Um, but, you know, I, I just think it, it depends on, on the young guys because uh, Dalcourt, I think is you know starting to settle in at center. Um, you know, Chris Owens is a guy that's, he's the six year player. He knows what to do. You know, maybe he's not, um, the most athletic choice when you look at guys like you know J.C. Latham and Damian George, who are both behemoth human beings. Um, you know they're not as big as Evan Neal, but you have bookends that size that would be advantageous. But um, I think it's for me, it's just TBD. I think it depends a lot on those young guys and how they come along. Uh, I think they feel good about the unit they have. They want to see them obviously improve and um, you know put it together again for a full quarter and. 
Um, you know, they want to be able to run the ball when they need to, whether that's late in the game or you, know, you look at Saturday's game, they had that sequence in the fourth quarter where you know, I think they had what first and two, um, or mm-hmm. first and goal from the two. And then they run it a couple of times to have an incomplete pass to uh, Cameron Latou in the end zone. And then you had a false start penalty. You want to be able to punch it in there. And you know, maybe that leads to a change down the road. But I think we'll see this group at least for the next few weeks. And uh, again, I'm, I guess I'm TBD on that. Yeah, there's some scenarios to consider, too, that don't involve so much the personnel up front being changed or shuffled or anything like that. It could be that the offensive staff in some of these goal to goal and, you know, uh, short yardage, things like that. Um, you know, they haven't shown really a willingness to expose Bryce much right on design runs. So maybe it gets to the point where you get an additional blocker and you just go wildcat in some scenarios. We've seen them do that in the past. Um, and you know, obviously you want to have Bryce in there because he can run, he can move. Uh, and then also Bryce and just the way he plays quarterback. I think so many people went into the season uh, incorrectly. So believing, Oh wow, this guy's a true dual threat. You know, he's going to break the pocket a lot and make explosive plays with his legs. And I think he's capable of doing that, but what he has shown you through three games. And I think more often than not, he's made the right decision and trying to, get a playmaker involved is that, you know, he's moving around to sort of get himself in position to still make throws. And during the game on Saturday, I had a couple of three people either text or DM me. He's got to run and get the first down there. He just needs to run and, you know, score there. And I'm thinking, well, you know, if you like the play he made against Miami to John Mechie uh, in that game where he broke the pocket, kept his eyes up the field, hit Mechie for a touchdown, uh, you got to be able to live with some of these other decisions. And again, a lot of times what we've seen is the right decision. They just haven't maybe finished plays. The deep ball to, to Mechie was kind of a duplicate situation of what we saw against Miami, but Elam with a little tighter coverage and Mechie couldn't come up with it there in the second quarter. Yeah. I mean, I think what we've seen from Bryce first and foremost is like you said, his ability to extend plays with his legs, but he's always looking downfield. You know, he's a he's a passer first. I know he was labeled as a dual threat quarterback. And heck, even Tua, uh, you know, hearing from him in the preseason, he committed him and said he's a better runner than Tua. And, you know, Tua wasn't known for his running ability, but heck, we've, we've seen him reel off some runs. And I think Bryce is capable of that, but he's going to throw the or try to throw the ball and go through his reads first. And, um, you know, there was, you know, a couple of plays. Maybe he could have kept it and, and picked up a first or maybe even scored. But he's looking downfield for opportunities, and I think whenever you have a young quarterback, uh, to see him doing that shows a lot of you know, his psyche, his maturation, because you know, there's some quarterbacks that when things fall apart, they're just going to tuck it and run and hope for the best. And so, yeah, I mean, I think um, I, I get why people, you know, I've seen countless threads about it, talking about is he scared to run, is he told not to run, but I think first and foremost, it goes back to, you know, he is a true passing quarterback and he's going to try to do everything he can to do the play that they they dialed up i think there's a happy medium you know maybe somewhere between what we've seen from him and what we've seen from the 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 fan base or observers in general in terms of his decision making about running versus 
extending plays almost solely to give himself a chance to still make a throw. But no, I, I would think the coaching staff probably leans more towards where he's at right now in that process. But there's, I would think, likely conversations when there's nothing but green grass in front of him and it's third and six, go ahead and take the eight, you know, and let's keep this thing moving. But I, I like the fact that he has that much confidence in himself and not only himself, but his receivers is what he's saying there too. And as a receiver, you love that as well. So there's some intangibles involved there uh, that need to be taken into account as well. When we look at, again, some of the positional aspects, not to go position by position, but we saw four running backs against Miami. We pretty much saw three against Mercer. We saw two against Florida in the first SEC game, Jason McClellan, Brian Robinson, wide receiver, uh, that situation continues to be pretty much status quo. Jojo Earl continuing to sort of creep in there as the number four. I guess we saw Treshawn Holden fairly early again on Saturday against Florida. Uh, and Jalil Billingsley back in apparently decent enough graces to be a big part of things against Florida from the outset of Saturday's game. Is Those three areas, when we look at receiver and running back, is – is it still taking a defined approach? Are we there yet, you think? Is there one area that might be different more so in that respect than the other? Um, I mean, I, I guess I thought we'd see more of a running back rotation. And, then, you know, some of that has to do with, you know, uh, the younger guys have, have fumbled earlier in the season. Uh, you still have Trey Sanders coming back from that hip injury. Um, so those things have to be taken into account. Um, but I, I thought maybe we would see a, a three-back approach. I think – Again, though, you know, Brian Robinson and Jace McClellan did some good things at Florida. And I think, you know, Jace McClellan is, is the future of the position. You know, Brian Robinson is going to be out of eligibility after this year. And, and Jace is a guy that's proven he can be an every down guy and a factor in the passing game. So, um, you know, maybe a surprise there receiver wise. Um, not, not a huge shock. I didn't think we'd see just a, a big time rotation there. Um, you know, I think we've seen more and more of, of Jojo Earl. Maybe we'll see more of him moving forward. Um, you know, Treshawn Holden's kind of that next split in off the bench, but it's tough to keep guys like John Mechie and Jamison Williams off the field because of, you know, what they've been able to do and the rapport they've developed with, uh, Bryce Young and, and tight end wise. Yeah. I mean, um, Jaleel Billingsley's back. He's, <laughs> he's, I guess out of the doghouse, And I, I think we'd see probably more of them moving forward. And he's a guy that, um, you know, with giving, what we've talked about about the offense to give to give um, Bryce Young another weapon and to maybe use him even more than we've seen um, or we saw on Saturday. That's just uh, that's beneficial for the quarterback. It's beneficial for the offense. I think Cameron Latou has done some some nice things. He made, he made a nice play um, in the game at Florida. Uh, but to have those two tight ends like we kind of anticipated going into the season, I think will be a overall help for the offense. So uh, you know the the tight end is a it's a it's it's different because we anticipated the two you've had the the issues with Billingsley off the field uh, but I guess it's it's pretty much status quo with you know given some of the the issues or maybe the setbacks that some of the younger running backs have had um, I think if they can get those guys consistently producing and you know maybe some more guys getting there in the rotation to be beneficial but um, all in all I think they're they're pretty happy with with how things have gone defensively it might be a much needed respite following a taxing 
four quarters against a physical Florida run game on Saturday. Southern Miss heads to Tuscaloosa with one of the worst offenses in all of FBS. Certainly, when you consider Conference USA, that's where you see Southern Mississippi right now. A couple of quarterbacks have taken snaps through three games for the Eagles. A rushing offense, despite being led by Frank Gore Jr., that's right, the son of the Frank Gore, is averaging 138 rushing yards per game. Uh, Passing-wise, the Southern Mississippi attack dead last in Conference USA at just 146.3 yards per game, four interceptions and just two touchdown passes. Um, Could be that type of week. Could be a week where if you're still not sure about Will Anderson, maybe, Charlie, he's either limited or could you envision him being in street clothes altogether Saturday? Uh, you know, I, I think Alabama fans would like that. Um, but, you know, he's a guy that played more snaps again than I maybe anticipated at Florida. And we heard from him earlier today. Will Anderson came up for a Zoom call with reporters, and he's, he talked about his knee and, um, you know, gave a pretty good report on it. He said that uh, it feels great. It feels better than it did last week. And, um, you know, he's going to continue to do his rehab and things like that. But they usually don't bring players up. Uh, during a week when they're not going to play it it's happened before i mean hell i, I did a full um you know long feature on miller forstall and you know, well his, they knew you were doing uh, that so they just well, they just did it on for, purpose he came up for everybody and then uh, we talked to him in the, the media room and then he didn't play against kentucky and of course that was the breakout game for jalil billingsley so say that it happens but uh i expect we see at least a little bit of will anderson they might you know not play him a lot maybe he gets you know, the first quarter, first couple of series, something like that. But it, it would be advantageous to continue to get guys like Chris Braswell and, and Dallas Turner some reps. And maybe you get King Makuta involved. Maybe, you know, Keanu Coop gets his first playing time. We know now that Quandarius Robinson is no longer suspended. He made the trip to Florida. And, um, you know, he was he's a guy that was set to, to be the backup long snapper in an emergency situation if something happened to Neyland Hibbett. So um, against – Southern Miss, there's going to be opportunity for some young guys. And uh, it's, it's another opportunity, though, too. You talked about their offense. You know, Nick Saban talked about how you know, they do uh, some of the same kind of quarterback runs and, and things they saw a week ago at Florida. So it'd be nice to see them kind of you know get a do-over to an extent and, and clean some of those things up for maybe something they'd see down the road. And uh, I, you know it's going to be a game where a lot of young players are going to see the field. And um, – you know, maybe some of these young linebackers can take some stress off of Will Anderson and let him get some some much needed rest and get ready for a big matchup with Ole Miss. Yeah, you said it, Ole Miss. You know, and uh, you, you don't want any psyche issues, certainly, but physically, you want to be as whole as you possibly can be with that Ole Miss offense coming to town, especially with the memories of the matchup a year ago in Oxford and. Um, yeah. So when you look at Alabama defensively right now, uh, should be an opportunity to not only feel a little better about things after a game against Southern Miss, but it does sound like schematically, if Southern Miss presents some of the same issues that Florida does, uh, on the grease board, the, the, the preparation for Ole Miss, it should be a pretty smooth transition going from the Florida offense to Southern Miss and then, uh, into Ole Miss. So, you know, we're looking for positives for you. That's what we're doing right now after Saturday. Hey, Charlie, I think that's all I got for you. 
Yeah, man. Um, I, I do think, though, you're right. Uh, talking about uh, defensively, it, it's not like they're going to go against a Mercer team where they're going to get this unique offense that they're never going to see again. I, I agree with you that um, you know if it was on purpose or not, it, it's an advantageous scheduling to, to get ready for an Ole Miss team that was able to run uh, the football really well against Alabama last year. Ole Miss followed by Texas A&M. Three out of four, when you look back on this stretch, come, say, even mid-October, you get into early November, uh, I think defining will probably be the best way to describe it for this Alabama team in terms of its big-picture hopes and trying to stay relevant to that national championship discussion. Charlie, as always, appreciate you taking the time, my friend. No problem, man. It's always good to catch up. Absolutely. Charlie Potter doing outstanding work for us at Bama Online. If you haven't subscribed to the Bama Online podcast, do it right now, please. It's free. It's as easy as a couple of clicks. And if you wouldn't mind leaving us a rating and a review while you're there, we would greatly appreciate that as well. Keep it locked with us right there at BOL. Hang out with us on the roundtable, the premium message board of choice for Alabama friends everywhere for Charlie Potter. Travis Ryer, thanking you once again. Talk to you again real soon on the Bama Online Podcast. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.